You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. You have an enemy who wants to convince you to fight back against God. But be encouraged that God actually fights for you. He fights for you. So what do you do when you and I, at certain points in our life, find ourselves at odds with God? Find ourselves fighting back against God, his will, his plan, his unknown plan. What do you and I do when we find ourselves fighting against God? If you're taking notes today, write this down. The first thing you and I are going to have to fight is our pride and our deception. Our pride and our deception. So Luke, the author, begins in his telling of the history of the early church contrasts two different experiences in the early church where people were generous, where people gave above and beyond to support the needs of the local church. And there was one guy who sold land to give the proceeds to the church. And later he suggests there's a couple who does a very similar thing. So at the end of chapter four, which we would have read last week and preached on last week, he says that Barnabas, whose name, by the way, Barnabas, it means son of encouragement. And this guy not only had a name called son of encouragement, but he was one of the most sought after encouraging members in the early church, a man who actually lived what his name means. He decided to sell something he owned to provide for people who didn't have enough. And in this case for him, it was some property. It was a field. So he sold the field, we're told in the end of chapter four, and he gave the money to the church to share with those in need. And that's what he does. Then we hit chapter five. And in chapter five, he contrasts that example of Barnabas with this one. If you have your Bible, open with me to Acts chapter five, beginning with verse one. It says, now a, name, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Does it sound familiar? That's what Barnabas just did. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you receive for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. And by the way, in that moment, Peter is proclaiming that the Holy Spirit is God. He's just made that direct connection for people who wonder, is Jesus God, is the Holy Spirit God, is God the Father God? Yes, it's the Trinity, the three-in-oneness that make up the essence that is God. He's just declared that of the Holy Spirit, that he lied to them, and in doing so, he lied against or the Holy Spirit, who is God. He goes on and says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And so Peter asked her, he said, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. 
And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband, they're at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband and great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And you can only imagine what in the world just happened that these people in the early church, the launch of the church, they were being generous, but they lied in their generosity and they actually were killed for it. It's the new church, it's the early church, it's the launch of the early church. And God is doing something unique and I wanna help you understand it. First of all, did, did Ananias and Sapphira, did they have to donate it? No, they could sell the land and they could keep all the money for themselves that they could just totally do that. That's not a problem. It was their land. They were not under compulsion. They were not required to give any of it to the Lord. But the unique part here is that Peter asks, Peter is clear when he asks, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? Why? Because Ananias in that moment, Peter was given just this knowledge that Ananias in that moment pretended to give it all. And he introduced hypocrisy and deceit into the early church. Listen to me, when it comes to the church and when it comes to the Lord, your and my motives matter. So it's not just what we do, it's why we do what we do. So for example, why you and I give is as important to God as what it is we give. Why is just as important that we would give out of a joyful heart instead of like trying to ease your conscience or feeling under compulsion that when you wanna give, you wanna do it out of a joyful heart. Why we give is just as important as what we end up giving. Why do you serve? See, why you serve in the church is just as important as where you serve. Why do you serve? Some people want to serve because they, they want to look important in front of other people. And the question we always want to ask is, are you willing to serve the Lord however? Like, are you willing to do the menial tasks or are you just available and open to the very public ones? Do you have a heart to serve God or are you doing it for the praise of people? Why we do what we do matters to God. So Some of you are saying, you know, the church has got to reconvene. And and I want you to know that, uh, that why you want the church to reconvene is as important to God as whenever it will reconvene. For example, if, if you were asking, when can the church reconvene? Because you're like, I really would just like the free childcare and just have some time in the church with my friends and all that. But you got to realize if as things are currently going with social distancing and everything else, when the time comes for us to reconvene, we're not guaranteed at this moment that we would also have childcare available or children's ministries. Like, can you keep kids social distanced? I can't. Like that may not be available when we're reconvening. So all of a sudden you have to begin to ask why. Why am I asking for we've got to reconvene? Is it an issue of, of comfort? Is it an issue of just gathering together? And there are very good reasons why in the future we will reconvene. But there are also equally good reasons why God is restraining that right now to cause us as a church to be the church 
in our community, to be the church to our neighbors, to be the church and learn the importance of gathering with other believers in homes and in groups and maybe even a time where you're discipled. God is weaning us from rushing through life and we just can't wait to figure out when we can reconvene. Why? Because we're so used to rushing. And I think a God who's timeless is saying, slow down. Stop rushing to everything. Your sports may not be available. Your schools may not be available. Your church is always available. And in fact, I'm launching you to be the church in your community. And I don't want you to mistake the one for the other And in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, when you go along with family deceptions and secrets, it means you're equally guilty of the crime. Peter gives Sapphira, whose name, we would say her name, out of her name comes Sapphire, and it's a beautiful stone. It means beautiful. That's what her name means. And Peter gives her as not a married couple, but as an individual. Sapphira, you, I'm giving you every opportunity, every chance to answer for yourself. I mean, how many times has it been when you or I asked a husband one question, we got one answer, but then we went to the wife and she's like, well, really, this is the way it all went down. She had that chance in this moment. She had the chance to answer with integrity for herself, but she and her husband had decided ahead of time to deceive the church with their generosity. And they both fell down and died. Well, why? Why did they lie to the Holy Spirit? Why did they lie to the church? Well, pride. Peter rightly identifies that it was Satan who filled their heart It didn't mean that they got possessed. What it means is Satan, the father of lies, has convinced you to lie to God, to push back against God a little bit, to get something for yourself as you're giving the impression that you're being very generous to God. And he is giving them that impression. They wanted, listen, they wanted a reputation for greater generosity than they were willing to pay for. They wanted a better reputation, but they didn't want the full sacrifice to have that reputation. They wanted to buy a better reputation than what they were willing to pay for. So I want to remind you and I sometimes that it is really important. God looks at why we do what we do. And and there are times in any organization or in any church where people get all excited about what their church is doing. And I I want to caution you and I here a little bit to be careful about saying we do this when it wasn't the. Be careful about saying we do these things when you have never actually maybe done those things. You can be so proud of your church. Our church has done this and they've given this and they support these missions and they do these things and they do a winter sanctuary and you could go on and on about what God does in and through the ministries of Sun Grove Church, but be careful about saying we when it's never actually been thee. Maybe you have never personally given or served at any of those opportunities. It's important. If you tout the great and generous things that God does through Sun Grove Church, but you yourself don't financially support the work of Sun Grove Church, you might be letting pride or deception fill your heart. Well, why over the centuries have people done very similar things to that, but they didn't die, but Ananias and Sapphira died? Well, here in the account of Ananias and Sapphira, their account is to ask what 
the story of Achan in the Old Testament was to the book of Joshua. What did Achan do that's so similar to what Ananias and Sapphira did? In the Old Testament, Achan is with the Hebrew people and they're coming out of the wilderness. They're now, they're taking the promised land that God has given to them. But to do it, they have to fight against fortified cities. They have to wage war. And what happened is when God said, when you have your first battle against Jericho, God says, I'm gonna knock the walls down and all the plunder All the things that you get when you wipe out that town, it's all dedicated to me. No one's allowed to have any of that plunder for themselves. But the scriptures tell us that Achan withheld from God. He kept some things back from God and he kept them for himself. But these items were devoted to God. So he took some silver, he took some clothing, he took some things that would would benefit him. He's like, I sacrificed, I, I served in the war effort, so I deserve some things. When God said, everything is to be dedicated to me. And he held back some things. Well, what happened? They go to fight the next battle. And in doing so, God and his presence, his presence for battle left the people And they went to fight another city and they got whooped and a number of people, soldiers died. And they run away saying, what happened? We we went up against Jericho. We had this magazine victory. Now we went up against a city called Ai and we fought against them and they, they just whooped us. What in the world happened? They began to seek the Lord and the Lord said, there's someone among your camp who has held back what is mine. And so they began to investigate in the way that they would do it at that time. And it became very clear that Achan and his family had kept back some of the things that were devoted to the Lord. And so in judgment for Achan and his family, their actions of deceit in those things, they were were taken outside the camp of all the people. They were stoned to death, all of them, their whole family were stoned to death. And the the plunder that he had taken was returned to the Lord. Achan was found guilty. And so they died for his actions. That's what happened in the Old Testament. Now we have the launch of the new church, the first time of the church that God is doing. And in this new effort from the church, we have Ananias and Sapphira who are basically bringing actions of deceit. And I want you to know that actions of deceit interrupt the victorious progress of God's people. It did in the Old Testament, and I believe it can in your life too. That when you and I get deceptive or we do, we let pride get in the way, what happens is it interrupts God's victorious work in your life. The word kept back that Peter uses right here in verse two is exactly the same word that was used in the account of Achan in the Old Testament at the time of that conquest in Joshua chapter seven, verse one. But in this case, Ananias and Sapphira died for a similar deception at the beginning of the early church. And that's why God took their lives. So what do we need to do? When you begin experiencing pride in your life, when you begin experiencing deception in your life, you and I have to fight back against pride, which is the sin of Satan that got him cast out of heaven. We need to fight back against our own pride. We need to pull back from speaking lies and begin to tell the truth. We need to fight back against pride and deception. This sermon I've really entitled Fighting Against God because there are times in your life and my life where we feel tempted to fight against God, where the enemy wants to just say, it's not a big deal. 
just keep some of it for yourself or he'll say, not a big deal, just twist it your way and it's not a big deal. And, and he knows that God looks at the heart and the motives behind it. And so what happens is the enemy comes along and wants to make you think it's not that big a deal. It's a little white lie. It's not a big deal. God doesn't care about your lying. He doesn't care about your complaining. He doesn't care about your, your talking or your gossip. He doesn't care about all sorts of things, right? He's gonna try to minimize sin. But God is showing us again just how serious sin is. In fact, it was only months before that Jesus himself died on the cross for sins like these. And sins like the pride that wells up in you or me or the deception that wells up. So what do we got to fight? When you find yourself fighting against God, the first thing you're going to have to fight is your pride and deception. So what do we do? We got to be honest with God and with ourselves and then with others. To be honest with God, man, I'm just tempted to, to look better than I actually am. I'm trying to buy more reputation for generosity than I'm willing to pay for. They could have done that. They could have been honest with them. When Peter asked the question, they had the opportunity to come forward and be honest with God, to be honest with themselves, and then be honest with the apostles who they're laying this wonderful gift at their feet, but they're just trying to get more credit for it than they were willing to pay for well, write this down because not only do you and I fight against God sometimes in our life, but we need to understand that God fights for your heart. It's not just that we sometimes fight against God. It's that God actually fights too. But what God does is God fights for your heart. He fights for what matters. And, and this doesn't mean that God will do what you want. It means that God will fight the things that limit your faith, that wound your faith, that stop your progress, that harm your heart, and he wants to fight the evil that torments you or the evil that captivates and captures you. He wants to fight back against those things. We get a glimpse of this in Acts 5, beginning with verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, and no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them, some of them as he passed by. And crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, those are demons, and all of them were healed. There's this powerful movement of God in the early church. And so the kingdom of God is at odds. It's fighting against certain things. And in this case, the kingdom of God in the early church was powerfully demonstrated when, it would, when people would be healed, was powerfully demonstrated when spirits that were demons, were demon-possessed people, were freed from the spirits that tormented them. That there was this powerful outpouring of God's presence and God's fighting for the things that happened to you and to me. And I want you to know that even today, God will fight for you. That God brings the ultimate healing. We're all mortal and someday we will die of something. But God fought for you. He died on a cross, but he also was victorious, rose from the grave. He offers you and I eternal life. And the beautiful thing about that is even if illness kills us, even if an accident kills us, in that moment we realize that God has overcome death and because of his resurrection and our faith in what he did on the cross, we too will rise and be in heaven with Jesus. He's overcome it. He fights back against it. But God will also fight time and again for the issues of your heart. He will fight for you. 
and he will fight for you so that you and I will trust him where we have been mistrusting him. He will fight for you so that you will trust him as your source when you've been trusting money or reputation as your source. That he will fight for you so that you and I will follow him, not in action externally, but follow him from the heart. God fights for your heart. But here's the problem. So often the problem's us, and if you're taking notes today, you want to write this down. The way you treat your heart is the way you will end up treating everyone else's. Like, are you in touch with your emotions? Are you in touch with your heart? Do you all the time speak poorly of yourself and your emotions and your heart? Do you try to ignore your heart and rush through emotions and stuff things? Like the way that you and I treat our heart is the way that unfortunately we will treat everyone else's. That's the way we end up. Without the intervention of God, without the healing of God for our habits and our hangups and our hurts, that's the way we're gonna treat everyone else's, how we treat our own heart, right? So what do you do? You try to rush through your painful experience. And some of you right now, you're like, you're in a rush. When can we get back together? When can things get back to normal? And I want you to understand that God may be changing things dramatically. Our culture may change dramatically. It may never again be as normal as you might hope. And we want to rush through it. And God's saying, whoa, 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 slow down. Are you learning the lessons that I want to teach you in this season? I want to fight for your heart right now. I've, I've cut away the degree of activity that you've been running ragged at. I've cut away the comfort of your church in so many facets so that you will be the church. I'm going to fight for your heart. These are the things that will make your heart come alive. Do you want to come alive but what do we do? Sometimes you might be very unaware of your heart. Like, I don't know what I feel. I don't know why I feel what I feel. I just have no idea. And we just look for a quick fix and we rush through our emotions. We rush through our painful experiences. And, and unfortunately, we do this all the time with kids, right? Like the kids, their emotions come up. Their heart is hurt. They've experienced pain or woundedness. And we try to rush our own kids through a comforting process. And here's what we do as parents. It's, it's, well-intended, but it's not great. What we do is we try to rush them through that comforting process. We say, oh, I'm so sorry, sweetheart, but you'll feel better tomorrow. We're like, well, how about we just go get some ice cream? What are we doing? We're treating their heart just like we treat our own heart when it comes to painful experiences. We're just rushing our kids through their, their emotions to a place of resolution. And we're teaching them to be as abrupt with their heart and their emotions as you and I are with ours. It's easy to focus on the part of us that loves other people. But it's hard at times to love your heart. We want to minimize the part of scripture that says, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor which are outward focus, God and your neighbor, as you love yourself. And we want to minimize that part about loving ourselves. Why do we? Because we treat our heart fast. We try to rush it through emotions. We try to rush it through pain. We try to get to the next thing. And God oftentimes has the deepest lessons for us in the painful places. So slow down. Don't try to rush your heart. And unfortunately, the way that you treat your heart is the way that you will end up treating everyone else's. But I believe in you. I believe today, even watching church today, you are on the right path. 
you're doing the right things. You're here, you're at church. I don't mean to say that as a condemnation. I mean to say it as a shared burden that we all feel to some degree, that you're doing the right things, you're doing good, you're wanting transformation on the inside, and that means you're wanting in your heart the very thing that God wants for your heart to, trans to transform you and I from the inside out. So God fights for your heart. He pursues your heart. He's more about the internal healing than trying to hide the symptoms that everyone else sees on the outside. God's not into hiding, he's into healing. And so we have to fight pride, we have to fight deception. We know that God fights for our heart and we gotta be careful because if we let God transform us, we end up treating others in a better way. Why? Because God's been fighting for our heart and we've been participating with him in the healing process with the fruit of God's Holy Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All those things are, are results of having God's Holy Spirit in you. And all those things have been tested in this time, have they not? What might God be saying to you? And what might God be saying to me to teach us about his pace in this time when we just want to fight? We just want to fight. And God's like, understand that you need to fight your pride. You need to fight deception. And you need to know that I fight for you and I fight for your heart. Write this down. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And this amazing thing happens at the end of chapter five, that when the Sadducees and Pharisees, when they arrest some of the apostles, they bring them in and they want to put them on trial and, and they have a conversation. And, and it picks up in verse 33. It says, when they heard this, this is the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. So what do they want to do? The same thing they already did to Jesus. That's what they wanted to do. That's how mad they were about it. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Smart guy. They want to put all their anger and their rage and their frustration against these guys. Let's kill them now. Mob mentality, right? He said, put them outside and listen to me for a minute. This is what he says in verse 35. He addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutius appeared and, and claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him and he was killed and all of his followers dispersed and it came to nothing. And he says, after him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. Well, he too was killed and all his followers were scattered. And so he's basically saying, listen, this guy was killed, the followers were scattered. That guy was killed, the followers were scattered. We killed Jesus. This might be scattered, but he says this in the next verse, verse 38. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And his speech persuaded them. And they called the apostles in, had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name that is the name of Jesus. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now the man who stood up and said these things, his name is Gamaliel. Gamaliel. 
But one of the things you need to know about Gamaliel, because he's not just mentioned here in the scriptures, he's mentioned later by the apostle Paul, whose Hebrew name would be pronounced Saul, his Greek name would be pronounced Paul, it's the same guy. And he said this, he was the, Gamaliel was the rabbi under which Saul learned. Here's this wise man, this wise man who's saying, listen to me, be very careful in what you're doing. And that was Saul's personal rabbi. Well, Saul didn't show restraint. He attacked the church ferociously. And we see how God dealt with him when he was fighting against God. We'll see that in chapter nine of the book of Acts. Now, let me tell you something. When you find yourself fighting against God, the only people who go to hell are those who consistently time and again, refuse all their lives to believe that Jesus is God and the only way to salvation. Take note of Gamaliel's words. The church has not failed with centuries of opposition and persecution. And if it was of human origin, it would have failed. But don't overlook the fact that it hasn't. And people right now are like, the church is being persecuted and the government's telling us what we can and can't do. And I want to let you know one thing. Number one, we are not being persecuted. That is not what persecution is. Certainly, no one's getting flogged, right? But it is not that. And we want to respect the authorities, but we also want to honor God. And he's causing us to be the church. In fact, I believe he's magnifying the effort of the church in this time. But what keeps you away? What keeps you away from God and acknowledging that Jesus is God is your pride and your deception. You wanna self-deceive yourself to not believe in God. You wanna think that you're actually better than you are. You wanna think that your answers that don't really satisfy you will make you okay after death, that you'll just be fine somehow. You wanna tell yourself that you need a little bit of religion from everywhere and all roads lead to heaven. Well, Jesus is clear that they don't. And Jesus is the one who died for you those leading other religions never have. Not in the same way, not for you, not taking upon the sin of the world upon himself and rising from dead, conquering death. No one's done that in that way, but Jesus. So give your heart to God's care. He's fighting for you. Give your soul to his salvation, your life to his cause. And if that's you today, right where you're seated, just close your eyes and just say this, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on that cross for my sin that you're the only way to heaven. I believe you're God, that you were killed, that you rose from the dead, that you are seated at the right hand of God. You are God in essence. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and wash me as white as snow. I ask you, Jesus, today receive me as your own into your forever family. I wanna admit that you've been fighting for me and I wanna give myself to you. So today, Jesus, I give you me. And if you prayed that prayer right now, we want to know in the chat, we want to know that you made a decision for Jesus right where you were on your own today. And we want to know that you, to know that you're a new creation, your sins are gone, that you will go to heaven, that you will experience death, but you don't have to fear it, that you have the spirit of the living God inside of you and you are saved. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.